Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. Tonight in the Whiskey Society at Seven Grand, we had what UFC champion Josh Barnett in the house and master distiller, co-founder of Warbringer Whiskey, Mr. David Brandt. We tried through the Warbringer, very small batch, and the Warbringer War Master Edition. Learn more about your local craft distillery, at least if you're here in California. Always remember to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't get drunk and try to pick a fight with a guy who chokes people out for a living. That's just irresponsible behavior. Cheers to you. Thank you, guys. Cheers. It's your first whiskey society. This is my first whiskey society. Right? Yeah, and we need man. to do more, actually. Okay, well, first things first. How long, you guys, you're a California whiskey. Yes, absolutely. We're just north of Los Angeles in Oxnard. Oxnard, California. so hot, you could, we could, just take this paddle the old surfboard right up there, right? Actually, you know, we like to say we're from the Nard. From the Nard. From the Nard, baby. <laughs> I'm not gonna go any further with that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so how long you guys been? Uh, what? What? Okay, so California okay. distilleries, like the the craft distilling movement in California, is is huge right now. And, Absolutely. And the one beautiful thing I think about the craft distilling movement here is that there's a lot of experimentation going on in California. You see a lot of variance in the styles just within the new distilleries that have opened right. up in the last five or ten years. Mm -hmm. When did you get started and, and why did you start a whiskey brand? Oh god, that's a really long story. Well, um, I, I'll, yeah. I'll cut you short. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and we got Josh here, we'll just do a chokehold. Uh, boom! See, I've tied it all together here. It's great. <laughs> so we, um, you know, Sesame Creek got started about three years ago, um, but this is my second distillery. I have another distillery out there that some of you may have heard of called Lost Spirits yes. that I actually founded. And um, but I kind of you know wanted to take the, my efforts in a different direction, a different style. So I struck out on my own. And, but you're not uh, doing the crazy Brian Davis like shooting the whiskeys with X-rays and like no. some little aliens in a spaceship. <laughs> we, uh, we we follow classic processes, but um, you know, like I'd like to say, it's it's. It's not about the tech, it's about the technique. And we really drill down into uh, the details of what's happening in, in making a whiskey or, or any other type of brown spirit for that matter. Um, we do some things different, but in general, we, we barrel in 52 gallon barrels. My barrels come from Minnesota. Um, we, don't, um, we don't have a machine that talks back to us <laughs> and uh, you know, that sort of thing. We, we just no do, we do things, we know AI, we no do things classically. Parrots. It's all about really paying attention to every step in the process from the starting materials to the strains of yeast we use to the how we ferment is even though we use standard type fermenters, we use uh, cypress wood fermentation tanks, open air. Um, we cool. do secondary fermentations, um, however, the, the strains of yeast we use are not standard strains. We, we use, uh, you know, we just, we try to optimize everything so that, you know, when it, we do put it in a barrel, our new make spirit is actually really complex and complete at that point. As you know, many, many distilleries back east produce a new make spirit, which in some ways you can almost clean concrete with it. Um, because they want it to be that way because it's going to take years to develop and, um, and convert into a variety of different flavors. 
Uh, we take a different approach in that we actually have a new make spirit that's really complete and doesn't actually require a lot of time in a barrel. And you guys are using uh, column stills or pot stills, or is it a hybrid still? How are you doing your distillation there? Oh, I built my own stills. You built your own still. What yeah. does it look like? It's a... Is that a tin cans or what is it? <laughs> well, we, we purchased a, a, a stainless steel tank, and but from that point forward, it's all copper um, that we, we built ourselves, including the condenser. And um, so it's classic pot still. It's actually more attuned to a cognac still than it is to like a scotch still or uh, uh, you know, an Irish whiskey still, which are very different. There's certain nuances to stills that if you wanted me to dive into, I'm more than happy to dive into it. Well, we'll get into you know. that. I do have many questions about it, because sure. that's a total style choice. But the first spirit that we're going to taste this evening is actually not a whiskey. No. Can you guess by using your nose alone, what kind of spirit, what kind of cognac is this, guys? You tell me. <laughs> Come on. What do you guys think? What is this spirit? Josh, you can't answer because you know. What do you guys think this is? Is it beer? Is it wine? What is it? It's beer? It's vodka? You think it smells like vodka? Jeez. Rum. Very good. Shit. She's a shill. Cat? You just texted her the answer, right? All right. But a lot of times craft distillers, when you're waiting for whiskey to age, you still have to pay your employees, unless you're a, a one-man band who's in, independently wealthy. I got three um, employees, me, myself, and I. Oh. Rum is a way that these craft distillers can get a product out a little sooner than, than having to wait right. a five, seven years for whiskey to come to maturity. So you're, you told me that this is a very unique yeah. product in terms of rum. So before you started releasing Whiskey, you came out with rum first, and this hasn't even come out yet. No, no, this probably won't be released until the fall. Okay, so what and, is it? Um, this is um, the exact opposite of what you described. This has taken me nine years to develop. And um, this is based on the most exotic form of dried sugar cane you can purchase in the world. It's called dark muscovado, and it comes from the Mauritius Islands, which is off the coast of coast of Madagascar. Way off, you can't yeah. swim there. My biggest challenge is actually, uh, you know, supply chain right now. Right. And uh, but in general, you know, this you, you you can't even purchase this stuff in the United States. Uh, there's one place in in Seattle you can buy it online, a gourmet food place, and otherwise all of it goes to Europe, and um, you know because they. They use it in a variety of baking products and a variety of other things as well. So, but, but you're uh, making it here in Oxnard. Correct. The rum we make here, we make it from scratch. Everything we do, we we make from scratch. And so, you know, it's it's not. Um, we just source our our sugar cane from the, from the Mauritius Islands. And so, this is you know, in the in the sugar industry, the the starting material here is called black sugar. Uh, there's only two other places in the world it's made. One in the Philippines and on Osaka, in Japan. Um, where um, it, I would get it from Osaka, except that they just don't produce enough. And it's a lot more expensive, so <laughs> you know, we don't get it from there. Mauritius Islands, are, you know, they're volcanic islands, and very much like coffee, sugar cane depends a lot on the soil that it's grown in. And the Mauritius Islands, are, it's all, they're all volcanic islands, and so they're all atolls, and so they, you know, it's all volcanic soil, very much like coffee, where the greatest coffees in the world come from. From, from coffee grown in volcanic soil. So it's, it's that very similar sort of thing. Interesting, and then how long is it being aged in the barrels and what kind of barrels are you using? I can tell you what kind of barrels we're using, but we, we, we really don't talk a lot about aging and it's not because we're trying to be evasive, it's just that because of the process that we use where 
we really pay attention to the details. Um, when it does go into a barrel, like I said before, it's, it's really very mature at that point. And then we do temperature control barreling. So we actually monitor the temperature in every barrel and we, we store barrels in shipping containers and control the environment inside a shipping container. So, um, so you know, trying to reflect on what one considers a normal age statement doesn't actually reflect appropriately to this. So it's misleading to the product to say, oh, it's this age. So right. you'll find that none of our stuff has age statements simply because it's really misleading. Question? With that in mind, how large are the barrels? We use standard 52-gallon barrels. They come from Minnesota. Um, and uh, where you know, I've tried a few from Missouri and Tennessee, and they just weren't the same quality as what I got from Minnesota. Different no variants in the wood. Uh, if you think about uh, the bark on a tree, is essentially the tree's natural defense mechanisms against the environment. Up north, where it's colder, the wood is going to be of a different density. Density, yes. and then down in the south where it's hotter. Right. So the, the flavor of the barrels, the flavors that is imparted from the barrels, might be a little bit different. Have you noticed that? Well, because we barrel differently, um, it's not really comparable to normal process um, because of the temperature controlling that we do. However, um, you're, you're absolutely correct. It, it, you know, barrels that come from um, Missouri or more of the central United States regions um, the rings, between the rings are much wider than they are from Minnesota. The, the, the Minnesota oak has really tight rings because it's, let's face it, none of us would live there if we had to. And it's really cold. And um, the trees don't get to pick where they live. No, they don't. And so it's one of those things where they're, they're really tight and so they're very dense, much more denser oak. They extract at a much slower rate under normal conditions. Um, we use them because of that. It allows Every us. Time you, uh, you put some spirit in one of these barrels, you get a okie dokie oak. Yeah. Okie dokie. You gotta rub it down with a little bit of herring first. Oh, oh. Delicious. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What food words come to mind from this? What, what are you going to be calling this? Molasses. Yeah. I, honestly, uh, of all the products that we, we have under development, and we will be releasing seven new products this year. This has been the hardest one to name, and we haven't come up with a name for it yet. It's it's very close to me. I've spent a long time. Ooh, I just you know, came to me. Go Red cat. Uh, oh, they're throwing names at me now. Red just rum. to let you know, it's well, it's, it's a creative. It's really form, funny man. because when when people decide the the foolish decision to become a craft distiller, and they say, "Oh, I'm going to do this," and and they say, "Well, rum's the easiest thing to do because all I got to do is you know get some molasses and I can start making some rum." Um, I have a good friend of mine um, who's one of the best brewers in the United States, and uh, she told me, you know, it, it, the easiest thing to make in beer is an IPA. And the reason is, is because IPAs are really big, they're really hoppy, and if you screw up the fermentation, nobody can tell. Um, the hardest beer, and the one that really is a measure of a great brewer, is a Belgian ale. And Belgian ales can be very light, very delicate, and they really depend on how they're actually fermented in terms of how, what kind of product you get. Rum is very similar in that the, the, the starting material is really simple. So if, if you screw it up, it ends up tasting like gasoline. And trust me, I've made lots of gasoline in, over the years. Um, and it doesn't really matter what type of starting material and sugar can you do with. If you're not careful on how you actually do the fermentation, if you're trying to make something other than Bacardi, um, you're, you're gonna have to spend a lot of time and effort optimizing those conditions. And that's why I said it's taken me nine years to get here. What I thought would be the easiest thing to make was the most difficult thing to make. 
It's so difficult he couldn't even come up with a name. So yes. you can't buy it oh, yet. It has names. no name. So uh, please take careful notes and write down in that blank space By you're the way, tasting. It is 98 proof. And, yes, uh, I was going to so. say it's pretty hot. Really? Pretty you hot. call this hot? Mm. It's got a little tingle. Oh no, this is yeah. the because this is the. By the way, I describe this as being a rum for whiskey drinkers because we ferment this to completion. So there's zero sugar left in the fermentation before we distill it. It's aged in a new American oak barrel so that it, unlike most rums, almost all rums are aged in used whiskey barrels. This has a lot more caramel, a lot more butterscotch, a lot more of the flavors you normally associate so. with a bourbon. And that's why we describe it as a rum for whiskey. I get like a yeah. like a bright citrus, like orange and graham cracker. Yeah, what are you getting, Kim? I get orange. Yeah. I'm getting a little nutmeg and kind of a golden treacle. Nice. Mm -hmm. A lot of sherry. A lot of yeah. sherry. But there's no there's sherry, no sherry. Here, right? I know that. I have the sherry. I have the sherry versions, but they're much more like a classic um, Central American style rum. If you get an El Dorado, a Dominico, mm -hmm. a Zacapa. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're more of the, you know, even though we don't barrel in a Solera technique, um, these, you know, I have both a single and double barrel version of this, which are much more sweeter than this. So what was the second mark that Andrew just brought around for everyone? Andrew, what was this? This is another no-name rum that I have no uh, reference point no, for? This is uh, the first version of the Warbringer Mesquite Smoker Southwest. Whoa, so jumping into some whiskey. So tell us, okay. You started making whiskey three years ago? Yeah. We can okay. say that. <laughs> I mean, legally, you started making whiskey three Actually, years no. Ago. I, mean, I, I mean, I started making whiskey with Lost Spirits in the early days. Okay. Um, um, when we were still up in Monterey, and, and we did a, a... We tried to make the most peated single malt in the world. And um, we got up to 110 parts per million phenol. Um, that's just... I don't know how Octomore gets it up to 200. Um, but, um, you know, you know, it was very smoky, very briny, and, um, you know, honestly, you know, even though we scored 91 out of 100 on Whiskey Advocate, I actually thought the stuff was too polarizing. It's called Leviathan. I don't know if any of you have ever had it. Mm -hmm. I, it, it very, very, very bitter and, and briny, and, you know, it's, it's, one of the, honestly, it's one of the reasons I left, um, because I, I just didn't want to make that. I, I felt we could have done better than that, um, uh, but my partners wanted to, you know, they were really into the, the massively smoked um, peated single malts, and um, I was new to them at the time. And so, um, you know, I, I said I wanted to do smoked American whiskeys. I didn't want to copy Isla. And so my efforts are all about trying to create smoked whiskeys that are American whiskeys. And we intend to release a, a rye whiskey in, in Probably March or April, um, which will be a which will be a hickory smoke rye. Interesting. So, and what's the mash bill on this whiskey here? So, this is a bourbon, and this is a seventy-five percent corn, twenty-five percent malted rye. So, this is has no barley in it, and so this has very much of a rye finish to it. Um, and the, the 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 corn is both a combination of hand roasted and smoked rye. So, we we we. The story goes basically when I first did this at small scale, the temperature in the, in the smoker was so high that it actually roasted the grains while smoking them. When you go to scale, uh, you can't really do that. 
So when you're, ship, when you're smoking grains in a shipping container, it's really hard to get the temperature up to you know, 200, over 200 degrees without really doing some extreme measures. So instead, we, we kind of separated that out and we roast, hand roasted part of it separately and then smoked the rest of it. And then we blended that together. And where are you sourcing the mesquite from? Uh, I, uh, I get it, you know, I get it from San Francisco. It's, it's wholesale. It's, it's most likely coming either, either from New Mexico or it's coming from, uh, from Mexico itself. Right on. And then you're putting it in used bourbon casks or first use? It's a bourbon, so you're it's using a, bourbon. a charred yeah. oak barrel being used for the first time? Yeah, we use alligator charred um, <clears throat> New American oak from Minnesota. So a, a number four char, a big, number four. A big yep. deep dark char in there. Yep. So stick your nose in this, this glass here. Now, this is the Warbringer Mesquite Smoked Bourbon. Right. Is and there you, any other Mesquite Smoked Bourbon? Is, is Whiskey Dubac? Um, like there's other Mesquite Smoked Whiskeys, but there's no other Mesquite Smoked Bourbon on the market. Interesting stuff. So you wanted to kind of go into the smoky world of like single malt scotch, but also No, it's more like, I, I, you know, I mean, scotch kind of yeah, Isla drove this. They created smoked whiskeys. And so we just take that genre and expand it into American whiskeys, but doing it with the sort of things that are available in the United States. Cool. I mean, you can get peat, you can get, I could go buy peated barley and make a peated single malt tomorrow. But, it, you know, that's not what we're about. We're about creating unique spirits. And um, so, you know, we spent the time and effort. Um, I smoke. We smoke the corn out in Satakoy where all the strawberries are. So if you're ever up in the Oxnard area, you know, to the, as you're heading up the, the, the one, 101, you'll see, the, <coughs> see, you'll see to the right all the strawberry fields. Well, we're out in the middle of those strawberry fields smoking grain almost. And it imparts a wonderful flavor to the berries. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, See, I'm, that's what I do. That's See? what you do. He renders people unconscious. I make jokes about strawberries. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think? As you stick your nose into the glass, breathe in gently through your mouth, what comes to mind on this beautiful Warbringer mesquite smoked bourbon? Mm -hmm. And this also is 98 proof. You'll notice we, we have a tendency to proof them up mainly because um, it tastes better. And um, we, because of the fact that we, the way in which we ferment, um, we do, I didn't really describe this earlier, when, as part of our fermentation process, most whiskey distilleries will, will ferment for anywhere from three to five days, typically. Um, uh, Warbringer is fermented for 10 days, and uh, it's because we do a small pitch, and we also ferment at, at, we cold ferment. We ferment well below normal temperatures that people ferment. And we also, once the fermentation is stabilized, that's when we transfer it to the, the, um, the cypress wooden tanks. And that's actually more of a secondary fermentation. Very which interesting. Allows a lot more of the, the um, very much like cheese. Even classic cheeses are all, all made in wooden tanks and wooden um, mixers. And it's because you create a, a flora of bacteria in wild yeast that's associated with the tank. And we do the same thing. So what he's talking about with that different kind of a long fermentation, a cold fermentation, which means it even takes much longer, and yeah. then it allows these other bacteriums to kind of get into the mix, oh, yeah. and wild yeast as well, it creates a lot of variance and more complexity to the flavor profile of the beer that you're then going to distill into the whiskey. So what do you guys get as you smell this, Warbringer? What food words come to mind? Come on. I smell 
carrots? I smell pencils. <laughs> and that, yeah, in a good way, in a good way, you know? I get that a lot. In a good way. <laughs> no. Well, it's, there's a minerality, I think, that comes yeah. from the mesquite, you know? Because yeah. it's, yeah. it's a creosote, though. It's a creosote, no. uh, yeah. Uh, like charred wood and barbecue. And well, it, mesquite is often used in mezcal. All over Mexico, they a lot of times are roasting the pinas with mesquite and it's got a definite minerality to it because it's not like in some lush forest often the mesquite or scrub oak that are growing out in you know very arid dry desert-like or high desert-like conditions so they have a lot of minerality in the wood and it's imparted to whatever you smoke it with. oh yeah so i do have a story for everybody some of you have already heard this way too many times because it is a classic story uh, you know, we're in a standard industrial complex in, in Oxnard, and one of my neighbors, a few doors down from me, runs a, you know, a, an event business where he supplies all the tables and stuff for it. And his, his uncle was visiting him from Mexico, and um, he, he was visiting him at his, you know, at work, and he told him, he says, "Oh, there's this guy down here. He's he's making whiskey and and other stuff." and and he's like, and he's like, oh, okay. And so he went back to working, and he turned around and said, Where, "Where's my uncle?" And I'm sitting here working, and this this short statured shoulders gotta have been like that wide, big, you know, strong young, strong old guy that came in, skin's just bronzed, leathered skin. My Spanish sucks, and his couldn't speak any any. Um, English to speak of and so we're hand waving and laughing and he tries it and then right about the time he tried it his nephew who had, was sitting there at work kind of looks around and says, his uncle's not there and he's like where'd my uncle go and he's uh and so he came down and and he walks in and he turns to his his nephew and says something in Spanish and I'm like and he starts laughing I said what do you said and he said well this is the bastard son of mezcal and bourbon <laughs> <laughs> and I said I'm going to use that. <laughs> Absolutely true story. I, I get like there's an interesting mouthfeel to it. it. It has like a, it's like creamy. It's got like, I, I get like cheesecake almost. Like it's really carrot interesting. Cake. Carrot, carrot cake. cake. That's really good. Very, very different. Yeah, that carrot comes through on the finish. That's really good. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. And how much of this are you able to make in a year? What's your production rate at these days? Uh, we're, we're doing, you know, we're, we're, we produce, you know, yeah, anywhere from you know two to three barrels a month. Two to three barrels a month. Yeah. Wow. So really, really small releases. Right. Exactly. For now. Yeah. For now. Yeah. For now. And the name Warbringer. How did you guys come up with the with the name Warbringer? Uh, it was you know it's uh, it was part of a classic you know marketing study. We 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 had a whole team together, a lot of arguing about different names. And the funny thing was is that this ended up as part of like five different names at the end. And the discussion was going, and, and you know, the the prototype for this product was even smokier than this, and actually a little more acidic, and, and had a little bit more bite to it. And um, and ladies in general that liked whiskey didn't like the prototype, and so we were concerned with the name that we would it wouldn't be ex really embraced by by, by ladies yeah. who enjoy you whiskey. Not want to push away. Let me finish. Let me finish. The irony of marketing and you think you know everything is is that when you get it on the market it's completely different than what you expected. And in fact, you know, I, I have yet to meet a lady who didn't who who drank whiskey who didn't love it. 
and, and had no one had any problems with the name. And, and we were kind of talking it over, and I said, well, no, none of the ladies liked the name, liked the whiskey to begin with, so why are we worrying about the name Warbringer? And so, you know, Warbringer actually is not even a word if you look it up in the dictionary. So it's, it's well, I'm glad it's not know, a I, word. I, I'd like to say it was a special meaning or anything, but it was just really a we we really it was a battle. You know, you know, naming the product is really hard, especially because, you know, there, you know, in the, the government puts us all together: beer, wine, and, and spirits, in terms of trademarks. And so, you know, how many wines are out there? And you know, I wanted to call this Gunsmoke. Because if you look, there's no spirit out there called Gunsmoke. Unfortunately, there is a wine called Gunsmoke. Why they call it Gunsmoke, I beyond me, I don't know. But that's kind of the way it works. All yeah. right, interesting. Well, there's we can talk about this. I've got some ideas. We can use the right. Harkness method. I think Peacemaker would make a wonderful name for a whiskey. That's it's, just me. I come from taken. Oregon. All right. But I, I guess this is like a firearm. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's taken. Really interesting. What is the second whiskey that Andrew just passed around for everyone here? Andrew, what was the uh, second whiskey here? It's the very small batch. The very small batch. And by making two or three barrels a month, I know what you're saying there. Oh, okay. Actually, it's not a very small batch. This is a different batch of Warbringer. Mm. And the reason I, I brought this one was to, to try to demonstrate to you that when you're working with really small numbers of barrels um, and most people really don't appreciate how much variability occurs in, bar in barrels from barrel to barrel and um, it's you know and part of it also was to try to find some sort of better sweet spot in terms of um, approachability because there are some people who just think that particular batch which was batch three which I think is amazing, um, was a little too much for a lot of people. So this was something that's, um, you'll, I'm, I'm not going to say anymore. You guys try it and you tell me. So the Warbringer uh, number two, another mesquite smoked mm -hmm. bourbon. Stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What food words come to mind? Or maybe it's a color, or maybe it's a place. There's no wrong answers. I smell like a maple syrup kind of thing happening here a little bit. Yeah, from, a, yeah. from a distiller's point of view, I, I use the term edges. Um, batch three has a, a lot more edges to it. Um, batch four is a lot rounder and softer the on the palate. That was batch three. Yeah, I can so, taste the corn more in this one. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, how did? If you didn't know, folks, we've got Josh Barnett in the house, former <laughs> UFC champion. <laughs> right, right, and. You know, it's, they were like, we, we were bringing in a UFC champion and he's a bourbon maniac. And I'm like, I'm getting scared already. What is bourbon <laughs> maniac? Is that, tell us. Yeah, there's like a fuel gauge. And once it gets up to enough whiskey, so Josh, what, how did you get involved in, in, uh, in Warbringer? Someone slid in my DMs. Who's this? Oh, you're not a hot chick. Uh, oh, come on. You got you to gotta, gotta tell them exactly but the you said whiskey. Tweet. You said whiskey. So, yeah. So I was approached by Alfred over there, a very, very snappy dresser. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he mentioned uh, about how, you know, now uh, with Conor McGregor's proper number 12. And, and so it's like, yeah, let's, let's basically let's fuck this guy up. And I'm like, well, okay. You know. 
honestly, I I have no problem with someone wanting to put out a, like a, a super great. young Irish yeah. that's really drinkable across a lot. You know, you want you can shoot it, you can do whatever you make. It's just sort of a general purpose whiskey. Fuck. I mean, you could probably clean wounds with it. But uh, <laughs> but you know, I get it and I understand. And I thought, you know, the way I saw it was like badass that Bush knows would actually get behind an athlete in terms of spirits which spirits usually have like a very sort of regal sort of distinction you know like this is something you know all the bottles look a certain way they usually put off a certain air about them and uh i'm a big whiskey drinker i my parents used to drink you know bourbon and irish in here and whatever but i really got into it living in japan and all i can trade stories all day it's just like oh yeah yama 12 just drink it down and throw the bottles away who gives a shit you know oh yeah. well, well, huh? <laughs> but uh, our yama 18s and whatever yeah we just drink them all up who cares <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but, but anyway so i so they, they wrote out to me and i said you know actually i've really been i really do want to make uh, a whiskey and i love America and American bourbon and I'd love to do something I said but here's the thing I'm I'm interested but I got to try your stuff and so I drive out in a classic American car a 71 Cutlass with a with a 455 in it and uh, we sit down meet Alfred and I meet David and you know we're all sizing each other up we're not reaching for our guns exactly but keeping an eye on things and we just started talking about what we love in terms of whiskey and that's what it came down to and uh you know i've, I've heard it from david uh, numerous times he goes you are you, you were not what we i expected at all your love <laughs> and knowledge and interest in whiskey was far beyond what i had expected and uh really made an impression and for me the care, the the knowledge, the technique, the attention to details, and within all of that, the ability to just be like, we're just making good shit, man. Let's have fun. Let's drink it. Let's have a good time. Let's let's make stuff and enjoy. the The hard work is pleasure as much as the the end result. And so for me, I'm like, I want to do it. You know, and last time I was up there, I said, hey, you know, when I if I don't have a fight coming up or something, I want to go up and just help you make whiskey and whatever. I don't care if it's... We put them to work. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, for me, it's uh, being a part of the process as much as possible uh, only increases your your love of it, right? It, it gets you more impassioned into the whole thing. And when it came down to even with this whiskey, you know, we chatted about and I said, you know, what I was looking for, what I wanted to do in a whiskey. I want to do cast strength. You know, single barrel is great. And even then, I did the barrel picks on it. Mm -hmm. And it was, I did a, a blind barrel. So I, I tested based on the barrels that were available. And then we did a blind taste test on it. And I still picked the same barrel for my initial, uh, you know, for what the first bottling should be from. And my number one bottle is bottled from that barrel. Yep. And, um, only about 220 bottles total. So it super, is. super Even small batches. Super small. So yeah. we, what did we try tonight? We tried batch two and batch three, or batch one and batch three? You tried batch, well, keep in mind with, with standard Warbringer, we're, we're blending barrels <coughs> like everybody does. It's, it's, if it's, it doesn't say single barrel, it's a blend of barrels. 
And so, you know, the you know, we will always try to achieve a certain aspect of Warbringer with each release of Warbringer. However, with Warmaster, it's a it's a single barrel. It is something that Josh and I have, have, have selected out of the group of barrels that we have. And um, and, and you know, and, and as you many of you know, there's there there is this variability. There are barrels that just seem to pop. And um, this one just had a certain characteristic to it that we both really liked. Actually, li I liked another one, but that's the same. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Which, I which, mean, will, which will be coming out once we yeah, sell all. There the were no bad barrels, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It was only a matter of preference. That's all yeah. it was. And 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 uh, we had someone there from Bourbon Review. Yep. He liked the same barrel that David did. The barrel I liked. You know that that was yeah. my choice, but. No bad barrels. All we did was rap about how we liked all the barrels and how we saw them as yeah. different. That's it. Yeah. And so you know when you when you do have it, it is 109 proof. So and I barrel and I barrel I barrel at 120. See, so most most people barrel at 125. I barrel at 120 for very specific reasons. So you know you, you know when somebody kinds kinds of ask about the barreling process, we actually. You know, we you know we replicate um, very much the standard process. We get the standard angels share loss of typically about ten percent. So you're you're making a gin, you're you're making rum, and you're making whiskey. Is there are there any other spirits you guys are making right now? Well, well, technically we don't make a gin, um, but we uh, it's a long story, and I do have some for later on if some people like to try some of them. Um, we've taken the concept of a gin and we've gone beyond uh, juniper berries. Uh, honestly, just personally, I'm not a big fan of juniper berries. So getting me to make a gin, so, so yeah, absolutely. So you know, what, gin, what gin is, and it depends on, you know, in the United States, about 80% or 90% of the gin made in the United States is made through a you know, the general term we use is maceration, which basically is you take vodka, you throw herbs and spices in it, and you let it sit for months, two months, three months. And then you filter it out and you call it gin. Uh, real gin is actually made in Europe, um, and, and they use a botanical can. It's in line with the still, and they re-distill vodka. And so what happens is, is that the, the, the herbs, the botanicals, are extracted out through hot vapor phase alcohol. Um, versus in the United States, which is basically room temperature liquid phase alcohol. We do something kind of in between. We use high temperature, high pressure extractions, um, but so they're still liquid, but they're done under very high temperature and high pressure, um, which is a much more efficient process. And uh, by the way, if you guys haven't looked me up, I am like the total nerd of the spirits <laughs> industry. I, I have a PhD in biochemistry. I have uh, degrees in pharmacology. Biochemistry and microbiology. So I'm like, you know, I, I can go down a rabbit hole that you may not want to climb out of. <laughs> On a lot of things. Like, yeah. If you ask him about fishing, he'll be like, have you seen this fishing? This this pole technique. Like, I haven't. Yeah. But Just I have to understand. There's there's a reason the world is run by nerds, and it's because we we do everything. Anything we do, we have to know everything about it. So anyhow, so in, in, in terms of the herbal infusions, um, I've had a number of different people around the U.S. describe them as, as the natural progression from gin. Um, they are basically based on a, a single herb flavor, herb or spice flavor, and then other herbs and spices are combined which pair 
with them. So basically I would go and select a flavor like sage, for example. And then I would read everything that chefs do with sage. And I would identify all the different herbs and spices that they pair with sage. And then I would go back and then do a formulation work along that line. So I end up with what might consider a, uh, a, a gin because it's, it's like a gin in terms of the complexity of the different herbs and spices, but it has a very distinct primary note, which is whatever's on the tape, which is ever there. Um, they were originally launched over a year ago under the name of Dr. Zizek's, um, which if any of you have ever driven to Vegas, you know about the exit. There's a great story about the last known snake oil salesman in the United States. Uh, we're rebranding them under a different name. We kind of pulled them off the market other than for those who use them in cocktail bars. And coming out under our new vodka, which by the way was used in your um, in your punch today, which is another whole story, um, which is a, a collaboration between me and Josh Goldman in terms of creating a vodka that makes cocktails taste better. But what we have in your glass right now is the Warbringer War Master Edition. Stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What food words come to mind, or, or what else are you reminded of? You tell me. Smoky Mexican chocolate, abuelita. <laughs> S'mores, I thought, nice. I thought, I thought it was bonita. Bonita, abuelita? Josh's rage. Yeah, so now tap it every tongue. What's the proof on this one, David? 109 proof. And I'll make my comment on barrel strength so you all can get my opinion on this. Um, a lot of people like to say, oh, I got to drink the highest proof whiskey. The actual reason you want to buy a single barrel, barrel proof whiskey is very simple. First is the variety. Um, single barrels are going to be different. It's just the nature of a single barrel. But more importantly, you don't have to drink it at 109 proof. You can add a few drops of water. You can dial it in to the level in which you actually enjoy it. That's to me is the reason you want to buy a barrel, a barrel proof, barrel strength um, uh, product. It's not to drink something at 130 proof or 120 or 10, whatever. It's to actually taste it at proof and then add a few drops of water, see if you like it better so it may open up for you more. It's all about individual palates at that point. Yeah, it's very fruity for, for yeah. being cast strength. It's actually very nice. Yeah. Well, right on. Does anyone else have this any questions so for David tonight from about the Warbringer bourbon, mesquite smoked bourbon? Happy to answer any questions. Is there going to be a volume two? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We, we actually already have the barrel already picked out. That will be the next barrel. We're going to actually bottle it this week, so it's, we, it's where we want it to be right now. Yeah. I will say this about age statements. Um, I think my friends at the guy at Four Roses had the best statement. Um, and I have a good friend of mine who came out to the distillery, and we're going to be releasing more of the video. Um, his name is Stephen Thompson. Um, none of you would know who Stephen is. If you're if you're a distiller, uh, Stephen is akin to you know one of the top three or four people in the industry. Been making whiskey for 50 years. He's retired. He was head of production at Brown Foreman. He was also head of production at Diageo for all their whiskeys and R and D. Um, and uh, and he also started the Artisan Distillery outside Louisville that does Jefferson Reserve. And um, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good friend. We both consult for a few universities together. That's how we met. 
and um, you know his 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 statement. He'll he'll sit back, lean back in a chair, and look at you and say, "Age statements are bullshit," quote unquote. And the re and and and, our, and the the head guy at, at Four Roses, and I know this may rackle some hairs, but you have to understand that um, uh, you know each barrel is so unique, and it, and it's absolutely totally dependent on the conditions in which the barrel is aged in. So barrels from Scotland are aged in really cold weather, very humid weather, and so they age much slower. And you know, there's a lot of, you know, you know, being in the position that this gentleman was in, he actually could trade because they owned a Scotch distillery. And they were trading bourbon and Scotch barrels back in the 1980s. And they were looking at how they aged both in Scotland and in Kentucky. And they aged completely different. And so, you know, I won't go into the, more into the details, but just to understand that when it has an age associated with it, you must keep in mind of where it was barreled, mm -hmm. the conditions that it was barreled, and the weather. You also have to keep in mind, and I'm sure you've touched on this before, um, that 80, probably about 80% of all the bourbon and rye American whiskeys that are produced in the United States are made in three distillers. Okay? Keep that in mind. You know, other than craft distilleries, you know, all the mainstream products, for the most part, are made in three distilleries. And one of them probably makes 60% of all. It looks like an oil refinery. It's amazing. But, you know, and it's not a dig on it. They actually make really good whiskey there. Um, it's just you have to recognize that um, most of all the whiskey producers in the United States that are high volume, other than a few exceptions, are buying barrels. And so, you know, it, it, it's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just be transparent about it. And but that, that's all changing very fast yes. with smaller producers right. like yourself. Yes. What I think is really important for people to understand about barreling and age statements, and I think if you, if you dig up, and I, I apologize, I don't remember the guy's name. He, he's, he's out of the same category as, as Stephen Thompson. Been doing this for a long time at Four Roses. And he said basically every barrel has a peak moment. And when you say it has to be a certain number of years, you're actually blending barrels that are beyond their peak with barrels that are at their peak with barrels that are not at their peak. And that's the problem with age statements, is, is that before the late 1980s, there was never an age statement. Because all, all whiskeys were blended. And they were blend in, in, in blenders, master blenders, honestly, had held more prestige than the distillers did. And, and for, for very good reason, because trust me, blending whiskeys is not a simple thing. And uh, it's really difficult, actually. And so, you know, you have to keep that in mind when you look at age statements. And I just ask people to understand that, you know, look at, think about what, how it tastes. Do you like it? Does it have the right profile? Is it a young whiskey? There are certain characteristics that are very obvious in young whiskeys. Okay, sure. you know, and and you know the bite, the burn. There is a certain grainy note that occurs in young whiskeys that you know we don't have in ours, and and that you know you can find, you know, in people who who release a whiskey before they should have. So so unlike you know a lot of people who are trying to market a certain technology or something and say oh you know we're doing this or we're doing that. Honestly, I don't consider that important. What's important to me is the product that you're tasting. Is it good? Is it complex? Is it special? 
And that's really what I'm trying to do at Sesame Creek, is, is that we're not about being a, a fad or a gimmick or anything like that. Yes, we do things slightly different. Yes, we, we pay attention to details. And, and this is what's really important in terms of creating a spirit that, yes, is not spent as much time in a barrel, but is this a mature, complex product? I don't think anyone in here can just would would I'd love to anyone to challenge me on it. Yes, <laughs> I please. dare you to challenge Make me. On it. And uh, you know, so. And, you know. and, and is there a specific state that you're getting all the corn from that you're like? Yeah, well, the corn we 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 really use high grade materials in everything. The the corn we use, is, you know, especially for smoking, is called uh, uh, flaked grits corn. Uh, we get it from Missouri, um, but it's um, it's what's it's a food grade. It's used to make grits. It's um, it's not um, the kind of corn fed to um, cattle. You know, it, this is really the, actually it caught on a per bag ba basis almost costs twice as much as what a lot of distilleries use. Okay. And part of it is the flavor. Part of it is the fact that it, somehow they figured out how to slice a kernel of corn in half. <laughs> And when you're smoking this stuff, if you ever come up to the distillery, I'm happy to show you the smokers. You'll see some video of this guy sucking up smoke. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you have to have the starch exposed to absorb all the resin leaf flavor from the smoke. Really interesting stuff. Thanks. Well, you guys, let's give it up for Mr. David Bram from Warburg. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember.